branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him, and they followed him, shouting, Hosanna to the, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And he said to them, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you, ever, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you. Uh, welcome to Providence Community Church. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Eric. I serve as the Director of Missions and Outreach. I'm excited to be here this morning with you. Um, and uh, happy Palm Sunday. We're going to be, like you said, doing a standalone, uh, talking about Palm Sunday and kind of some implications from that. Um, just so you guys are aware, we were in uh, a sermon series on Sermon on the Mount, which we just finished last week. And in that sermon series, we we discussed the words of Jesus about the kingdom of God, uh, about what it looks like to uh, be in the kingdom, to be a part of the kingdom. Uh, and now we're going to be talking today about our king. Uh, this, this day uh, commemorates Holy Week, which is celebrated um, basically the last week of Jesus' life leading to his death and resurrection. And so today, Palm Sunday, uh, as we just read uh, about Jesus' entry into the city of Jerusalem, uh, where people are throwing their uh, outer garments down, their uh, palm branches down, and, and he comes in uh, on a donkey, and uh, he is praised. And you see things like Hosanna, uh, glory to God, uh, things like that. And so we're going to talk about today what that means um, and um, I just want to kind of make a few introductory remarks uh, about that uh, before we pray. Um, the first thing about this scene is uh, I just want to recognize that this is a unique scene in history. Uh, most of Jesus' ministry was uh, kind of formed around avoiding uh, big crowds that would praise him. And he talks about this specifically, right? Like he, uh, There's many instances where he'll do a miracle and then like a ghost, he will vanish away before anyone can like, uh, you know, find him and, and praise him, and he tells even the demons to, to shut their mouths when they talk about who he is, and uh, Jesus almost kind of seems like he's hiding, not in a sketchy way, but um, he, he's got a purpose in mind, right? Jesus is always reminding his disciples that I came not to be praised by men, but to do the will of my Father, right? He wanted to please God, and he came to do so. He came, he came to submit to the, the, the will of God the Father, not to be praised by men. But this is unique because uh, this is really kind of the first big scene that we see where, where Christ is being praised uh, for who he is. And so it's kind of unique in the history of uh, Jesus and, and what he, how he's kind of been working. Uh, and we see kind of... Um, and I'm gonna, just to let you know, I'm going to jump around to a few different texts today uh, because this happens in all four Gospels. We get a glimpse of this scene. Uh, and so just to mention those to you so you can look at them later and read up if you want to kind of compare. Because uh, I'll be mentioning some things that aren't directly in Matthew but are in the other passages. So it's going to be Luke 19, uh, verses 28 through 44. You don't have to write this down, but just for your information. Uh, John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. 
Mark 11, verses 1 through 11, and then obviously right here in Matthew 21, verses 1 through uh, 17. Uh, and so I'll be kind of jumping around because each of them shed some different light on kind of what's going on. But uh, particularly in the book of John, it talks about that this group of people w- were gathered because they had uh, heard about what Jesus did in resurrecting Lazarus from the dead. So this is one of the most epic miracles that Jesus performed was he took a man who had been dead for days and smelled like he had been dead for days, was obviously dead, was being buried, and Jesus told him to get up and he rose and he was alive again. Uh, And so when that happened, I mean, it was just like, you got this moment right now where it's almost like the people can't contain it anymore, right? He's been going around from town to town outside of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. He's been healing people, doing miracles, casting out demons, all of these things. It's kind of like this is culminating in this event where Jesus' time has come to be crucified and to to rise from the dead. And it's like these these people just can't contain it anymore. There's just praise that comes forward. So it's a really unique time in history, and it's really cool um, to look at. And what's kind of happening here is they are recognizing him as king. In Jerusalem, or in Israel, there had been this long-awaited expectation that there was going to be a Messiah who was going to come, a prophet like Moses, someone that was going to come, and he was going to rescue God's people from their captivity, and he was going to establish God's kingdom on the earth forever. And so there was this expectation that this, this was coming. And so um, what we see here is the people are recognizing Jesus as that Messiah, as that king. And we'll get in a little more into that. Um, because the same crowd, well, maybe not the same crowd, but we know there's a big crowd here that's worshiping Christ. And then a few days later, so that happens on Sunday. And then on Friday, uh, there's a huge crowd that's yelling, crucify him, crucify him, right? And Jesus is slain. The crowds hate him. Now, we don't know if it's the exact same people, but we can infer because Jesus is going to weep over Jerusalem, uh, and we'll kind of see that in a moment. He's going to weep over the people of Israel because he says, basically, like, I'm right in front of you, and you don't even recognize me. Uh, And so it was potentially probably a lot of these same people that were also yelling, crucify him. So this is kind of just a unique week, uh, and it's really time for us uh, as a church that we just celebrate what God has done. And, And just to be clear, we celebrate that all the time. Uh, I'm always celebrating the resurrection and Palm Sunday and everything about Jesus every single day because it's true and it's awesome for me every single day. But it's just a time that we take to, to, to focus on it, to preach about it, and to talk about it. So, um, so that's kind of what's happening with this scene. Um, and I just want to say, I want to imply that I think this scene happens for many reasons. But one of the things I want to point out for us today is I think the scene is here located in the Bible for the encouragement of Jesus' disciples. Because you've got to think about this, okay? Jesus is walking with his disciples. He's telling them all these things about the kingdom of God. Um, and then he's also telling them things like, the son of man has to be, has to be killed, right? Like, uh, he's, he's always witnessing. And they don't understand a lot of these things till afterwards. But Jesus is, is talking about how he's going to be killed. And for them, it's confusing, right? Because he's the Messiah, right? He's the one that's supposed to come and make all things right and establish the kingdom of God. And if he dies, I mean, how's that going to accomplish anything, right, that's going to be going to be helpful, but I think Jesus is showing us a snapshot of what is to come, and this is important for our encouragement, because even right now, being a part of the kingdom of God, if you are in Christ, a citizen of his kingdom, we don't have the full experience of that yet, right? We don't see Jesus face to face. We are not part of the perfect kingdom that Jesus promised he is going to establish, and it is going to last forever, and there will be no more death, no more sickness, no more pain, etc. That is not here yet. Uh, but I think the scene is in the Bible that we would soak up this scene for all that it has for us, all the promise it has for us, and for the encouragement for us that that day's coming. Amen? It's coming, it's coming, and it's true. Um, 
And so I think that's why it's here. And really what I think Jesus is also doing is I think he's displaying who he is. Um, John Piper said this. He said, not necessarily in regards to this text, but in general, and I want to apply this here. Uh, consider Jesus. Know Jesus. Learn what kind of person it is you say you trust and love and worship. Soak in the shadow of Jesus. Saturate your soul with the ways of Jesus. Watch him. Listen to him. Stand in awe of him. Let him overwhelm you with the way he is. And that is my prayer and hope this morning. I want to look at King Jesus. I'm going to talk about some characteristics that I think Jesus displays about himself that we should just be in awe of, that we should just really relish in who he is for us and just who he is in general. And and this is something that can be sadly missing uh, from Western Christianity. And this this is important, right, that we feel this, that we really know the Jesus we say we trust, we worship, we love. And so I pray this morning that you are encouraged by the word of God about Palm Sunday. I know this, this, this particular text is um, obviously, I, I don't know, I won't say obvious, but uh, if you've been in church for a long time, this can kind of seem like one of those Sunday school uh, kid stories that you just kind of read over and it's really nice to talk about Jesus, read Palm Sunday and we give all the kids a palm branch and yeah, it's awesome, right? But, uh, and that is cool, but I just don't want us to gloss over and miss what Jesus is doing in this, this setting. So if you would join me this morning in prayer, sorry for the long intro, um, let's pray together and then we'll, we'll hop into the text. <clears throat> Father, we love you. We, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to hear it and, and read it and have it in our hands. And, and like Ty mentioned earlier, that th- this word you have given us along with the power of your Holy Spirit has everything we need to know, worship, and obey you, God. And so would you help us to do that this morning? Would, by the power of your spirit, would you illuminate the word to us? God, that we might see, that we might savor, that we might, as the psalmist says, taste and see that you are good. King Jesus, help us to see you this morning in a powerful, tangible way. I pray we would soak in your presence and who you are for us. We pray against the enemy that would love nothing more than to steal the seed that is planted this morning. God, you are more powerful You are gracious to implant your word into us that it might grow and bear fruit. And so we pray for that this morning. We pray you'd help us to be focused, to see you, um, and that your words, God, your word would be powerful today above all else, and that you would encourage us um, this Palm Sunday. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Okay, so uh, like I mentioned, there's a lot of text here. I'm I'm not going to kind of roll through uh, line by line. Technically, I'm going to be jumping from different uh, passages like I mentioned, but I just think there's some good stuff in here about Jesus and who uh, he is, and so uh, I'm excited, like I said, to get into that. Um, I think that's all I want to say in introduction. So I got just four things I want to point out about Jesus uh, that I hope are encouraging to us. The first is that uh, Jesus is a sovereign king. Uh, okay, so we, we see in verses uh, one through three, uh, basically as Jesus is drawing near to Jerusalem, he tells his disciples, I want you to go to a certain man and I want you to take his donkey. And if you're walking away with it and he says, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? Then here's what I want you to say. Tell him the Lord needs it and he's gonna be cool with that and you bring it back, okay? Uh, just a little experiment. If you wanna go home after church, walk in your neighbor's house, 
grab their car keys, and walk out. And if they say, hey, what are you doing with my car keys? Just say, the Lord has need of it. And just walk out. That's like what's happening right here, right? It's this, this, this funky scene where uh, they're, they're going to get this guy's donkey because Jesus is going to ride in on this donkey to fulfill prophecy, which we'll get into in a second. Um, but Jesus, in a very interesting way, displays his sovereign hand, which I think leads us to a, a bigger point. He's not just sovereign over a man's donkey. He is the sovereign God and king of the entire universe, Right? There's been many imposters that thought they were great kings, but Jesus is God. Right? He is king of the whole universe. He is the, it literally says about Jesus in the Bible that everything was created through him and for him. And so he is the creator of you and I, of this universe. He sustains creation. Jesus is sovereign. He displays that here in some unique ways. First, in commanding them to go get the donkey and just kind of getting away with it by saying um, the Lord needs it. But also, he calls himself the Lord. And uh, obviously, this word Lord could also just be reference to a teacher or someone who owns uh, something like property. Uh, but I think it's very clear that Jesus is talking about himself as God himself. He's talking about his sovereignty as the Lord. Um, and we're going to get into some of those implications, but I think this has a lot of implications for us, right? Like Jesus, it even says in the Proverbs uh, 21, verse 1, that the king's heart is like water in the hands of the Lord, and, and he makes it go wherever he wants it to, basically. That's my paraphrased version, but that's, that's basically what it says. And so even the kings, who are supposed to be the rulers of the world, right, uh, even their hearts are in the hands of Jesus, and he he turns their hearts wherever he wants to. He is sovereign. He's in complete control. And, and for us, we don't like that, right? I mean, our whole country was based on not having a king. The last thing we want is a king, right? Uh, but Jesus is a, a good king, and we're going to talk about some more characteristics of that. But he is in absolute control over us, over everything. He is sovereign. And, and to me, that is a comforting thing about the Lord, right? If I didn't believe God was sovereign over my life, then uh, I would be one scared person, right? Because life is crazy. There's so many crazy things that could happen to you. There's so much suffering in this life, uh, but God is in control. If God was not in control, then I would be in control. If I was in control, that would be scary. I am glad that God is in control, and he is a king that is totally in control. Whatever he says happens, whatever he says goes, that is how it works in the kingdom of God, that is how it works in the universe uh, and it's a beautiful thing. And so Jesus is teaching us about himself that he is absolutely, he's absolutely in control. And, and you think about some of the implications of where he's heading to, right? Like Jesus is not just heading into Jerusalem to be praised and then going on vacation to Bethany. No, uh, he's heading into Jerusalem to be crucified, right? He's going into Jerusalem to submit to Roman guards, to be tortured, to be crucified for you and I, that he might bear the wrath of God that was aimed against you because of your sin, that he might bear it within himself and give you his righteousness. Jesus, who deserves all praise, who is totally in control, submits to, uh, if you will, these, these Roman guards to be killed, even though he sustains their very bodies and their very existence, right? And, and so you think about the implications. It's just crazy. But Jesus is, is in a unique way saying, I mean, I am the king. I am establishing himself as the sovereign king of the universe. Second thing, um, Jesus is a humble king. Okay, this puts Jesus apart from every other king that's ever existed. There's never been a humble king before in history. You can read about all of the kings. They were all uh, prideful, right? Uh, but Jesus is not. He's humble. We see this in a few different things. Uh, 
One, Jesus comes riding on a donkey. Uh, I said this before, but if I was going to come riding in to be celebrated as a king, I'm definitely getting a flaming chariot, okay? There's going to be fire on the back. I don't know how, but it's going to happen, and I'm coming in with a war horse, okay? I'm not coming in on a donkey. If you've ever seen a donkey, spend time with a donkey, they're not the best of creatures, okay? Unless the donkey's your favorite animal, then go you, all right? Uh, but donkeys back then, they, were main, they weren't used for kings. They weren't used for royalty. They were used for service, right? They were work animals. That's what they did, uh, and Jesus chooses to come in and to ride in on a donkey. Um, we see that in verse, verse 4, kind of there. Um, also, uh, Jesus uh, displays his humility, and like I said before, the fact that he is God coming as a human, right, to submit to, once again, a, a horrible death for the sake of you and I, because he loves us even though we're undeserving. And so this displays such humility, right? He's God, He's God. He's in control. He deserves all praise. And, and we give him none of that apart from the grace of God, and yet he comes anyways. And that's like Philippians 2 says, right? Like he um, did not count, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, something to seek after, but instead he humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant, and he even submitted to death, even death on a cross, right? That's what Philippians 2 says about Jesus Christ. And so he displays a unbelievable uh, humility, um, that it's just, it's just mind-blowing, right? That Jesus comes in and, and is humble like that. And so not only is he a sovereign king that has absolute control, but he walks in humility, um, walks in true humility. Um, once again, there's lots of implications. We'll get into that. But um, he is the king of kings, and he, he submits to that kind of death, that kind of humiliation, um, and he's the son of God. Uh, third thing is that Jesus... Uh, Jesus is a compassionate king. So he, he's sovereign, he's humble, he's compassionate. Uh, and there's so many uh, just side tangent sermons I could go on right now. And, but, but simply put, uh, once again, the implication right here, what we see Jesus is walking into, uh, he's walking into uh, the, the greatest act of love that the world has ever seen and ever will see, right? That Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, would lay himself uh, down for us. He's compassionate. He cares. Uh, we see this in the version in Luke's story uh, in Luke 19. After Jesus comes and is praised by everyone and throw the palm branches down, all those things, Jesus is standing on the Mount uh, of Olivet or whatever, and he can see um, basically Jerusalem, and he begins to weep. It's a very unique setting where we see Jesus weep, and Jesus also weeps uh, over Lazarus when Lazarus is dead. Well, we see this very few times in the Bible, but Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, and he weeps because he begins to, to say basically about their ignorance, like Christ, the Messiah that they've been longing for is in front of them, and a few days from now, they're going to crucify him and hate him and not have any idea who he is, and because of that, there's going to be a bunch of destruction, which did come to Jerusalem. The temple was destroyed. The whole city was destroyed, and Jesus, in Luke 19, is weeping over that fact that the people just don't get it. He has compassion on the people because they, they don't understand uh, who he is, what is offered to them. And so we see Jesus displaying himself as a compassionate king. And this, once again, sets him apart from every king most of the time it's ever existed, right? Because uh, kings are usually comes with that as a tyrannical king, a domineering king. You get some good kings throughout history, but none like Jesus. There's no king like Jesus. He is compassionate. He, uh, though you have um, infinitely uh, marred his glory, Jesus is compassionate to you. We are very, very, very undeserving of his grace, and he comes to extend grace. He comes humbly. He should have come, uh, he comes like homeless, 
right? Jesus has no place to lay his head. Jesus is experiencing constant sufferings, um, yet he extends love and mercy and grace to us, even though we don't deserve it. Uh, we also see Jesus' compassion, just gener- generally speaking, biblically, right? He, he lived as a human, and so we see him as a human right here. And the book of Hebrews talks about him uh, being a sympathetic high priest, someone who uh, can actually relate to us because he suffered all the same things that we suffer. And so Jesus can actually step into our lives and actually say, hey, I understand what you're going through, not only because I created you and know everything about you even more than you, but because I lived as a human. I suffered as a human. And so then he, uh, once again, can reach out with that compassion. So Jesus is sovereign. He is humble. And he is compassionate uh, towards us. Uh, as a good king. We even see that the children begin to cry out, Hosanna. They begin to kind of copy their parents and, and cry out as well. And, and the Pharisees try to shush them. And, and Jesus says, haven't you read? Even out of the mouths of, of infants and babes, I have prepared praise for you. And so Jesus doesn't even turn the kids away. He's not annoyed by the kids. I just got done from a, a trip to Disney. I've never been more annoyed with kids in my life. You know, it's just one of those things. But Jesus loves the kids. He's compassionate. Uh, and it also speaks to us being children of God in the kingdom of God, which we will, we will get to. But um, yeah, so he's compassionate. Uh, lastly, and I don't want to necessarily say most importantly, but this I think is really important in the text, is that Jesus is the only true king. Jesus is it. He is the one that has been prophesied about. He is the coming king, right? Uh, so, so picture this. So we, we see here in verse uh, 5, where they're quoting Zach, Zechariah 9 9, uh, and where it basically says that, you know, behold, your, your king is coming uh, mounted on a donkey. And so the, he got, went and got the donkey because he was fulfilling the scripture. We see that the kids are, are, are crying out, the infants and babes, it's Psalm 8 2. And, and over and over again in this scene, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy about himself, and he's doing that, uh, one, to fulfill all righteousness and, and to fulfill the scriptures, but two, to show us that he is the only true king. There have been many impostors throughout history that thought they were great kings, but no one is Jesus. Jesus is the true king. He is the true king that our hearts long for, that we long for. So we get a glimpse of this in him fulfilling every little dot, every little prophecy that was, that was uh, prophesied about him in the scriptures he is fulfilling. Not only that, but we see the glimpse of God's people uh, praising him. And this is that kind of encouragement I was talking about. Like We see uh, people are crying out, Hosanna. They're, they're throwing palm branches. And, and so just to kind of comment on some of those, uh, palm branches or palm leaves were a symbol in, in Israel for victory. It was kind of a symbol of uh, patriotism and things like that. And so uh, them uh, throwing the branches is, is not just because that was what was available. That's probably what they did with their clothes that they couldn't get branches. But, you know, they're kind of throwing it down so he can walk over. But it was a sign of victory. It was a sign, this is, this is, this is it. This is him. This is the king. They're crying out Hosanna, which means, uh, that's probably a simple definition, but it means, oh, save us. Save us, king. Hosanna in the highest. Save us. You are worthy, right? We need you. Come, Lord Jesus, by your grace, um, is what they're crying out in that. And so we see this scene that just displays he is it. And I love in the Luke version, because not only do the kids cry out in the Matthew version, but in, in, in the Luke version, uh, the Pharisees turn to Jesus and they say, rebuke your disciples. Why? Because they're saying he's God, right? When they're crying out, Hosanna, come save us. This was a cry that the Lord would come and save his people. And the Pharisees say, rebuke your disciples. That is blasphemy. And Jesus' response is, uh, 
if they were silent, even the, the rocks and stones would cry out, right? He says, I, I'm it. I am the king. It doesn't matter how many people shut their mouths. Someone's going to praise me because I am the king, right? He's displaying himself to be who he really is. We see as he walks into the temple, which was the place of the presence of God. What does he do in the temple? He sees these people that are like kind of selling and making some dirty profit off of selling sacrificial uh, animals and different things like that, and he kicks them out. Just like earlier in the Gospels, where he, in the Gospel of John, early on, he makes his own whip and beats him out too. Uh, and so he's coming and he's cleansing the temple. Why? Because he is the true Messiah. He is the true King. He is coming to fulfill all righteousness, to make all things right. We see that the, the rocks would praise him if no one else did. The kids are praising him. Uh, Jesus, in this scene, is displaying that he is the one and only true King. Uh, you may have heard Court tell this story before, but I thought it really applied to here, and I couldn't get it out of my mind, uh, so I wanted to share it. If you've ever read Narnia, this really good series of children's books by C.S. Lewis, um, I, I was telling the earlier gathering, there's like a level of maturity you've got to hit to enjoy it, okay? There's like this middle ground, okay? Underneath is you're just immature, okay? Then you get to maturity, and it's like you're mature enough to be an adult, but not to enjoy children's books. And then you hit the top tier, which is you can enjoy children's books like the Chronicles of Narnia, okay? So just remember that. Um, but there's this scene in there that it's just, I couldn't pass out. It's so good. Uh, and so basically what happens is there's this girl named Jill. She's been through some stuff in the book and she's very exhausted, wanting a drink, and she sees a stream. And so she travels over to the stream to get a drink of water. And on her way there, she notices a huge lion appears between her and the stream. If you haven't read Narnia, it is an allegory to the Christian life, and God is displayed as a lion named Aslan. Uh, there's many just these cool little snippets that C.S. Lewis gives us of the character of God. But in this particular story, Aslan appears, God appears in between the stream. And Jill is terrified, right? She's terrified of uh, the lion for obvious reasons. Uh, and she begins to dialogue with the lion, which is not normal in real life, but in Narnia is totally normal. And so she begins to talk to him, and uh, she begins to kind of ask him if he's a nice lion. Uh, and his responses just get, just, just get really cool. But, but basically, uh, he describes himself as, as not, he's not tame. He's not nice. He's not a house cat, right? He doesn't say that, but that's kind of what he's displaying himself as. And she asks him if he's eaten anybody. And he says, I, I've not only eaten men and women and children, I've devoured whole kingdoms. Uh, so now she's getting terrified. And then so they, they kind of continue to dialogue. And eventually she um, asked him if he could just, it's kind of a funny part of the story, but she asked him if he, he could just step away while she goes to get a drink. And then he can come back after she's done getting a drink. And, and he obviously says no. And, and then her kind of ending to the conversation is, okay, well, I guess I'll go find a different stream then. Uh, and his response to her is, there is no other stream. And see, so the idea is uh, there, there's, there's no other way, right? There's, there's no other way to get a drink of water that you actually need. And that's kind of what this, this story is displaying. It's just like when Jesus is preaching to the crowds and he says things like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And then everyone leaves except the disciples. And, and he looks at them and says, you're going to leave too? And Peter says, God, where else are we going to go, right? You're it. You are the Messiah. You are the one. There is nowhere else that we could go. And Jesus, in this story, is doing that for us. He is saying, I am it. I am the king. I am the long-awaited Messiah. I am the one who is going to make all things right by my sovereign, compassionate hand. And he does it, right? We see, as the story continues, and through the gospel that Jesus does, not in the way that people expect it, People expected a king that was going to be this huge, muscular guy to come in and 
build an army and take over Roman, Rome and do all these things, but that, that wasn't what Jesus was doing, right? His kingdom was of another world, like he said. And so, um, but Jesus is saying, I am the one, I am the only true king. There's no other searching, there's no other, it could be someone else. This is it, I am him. So these are some characteristics of Jesus. And I think they have some pretty awesome implications for us. And I want to kind of bring those out to you. And I, like I said, I pray this is encouraging um, for you. So just a few things. Um, my handwriting's pretty bad, so bear with me. Just kind of got to navigate through it. Uh, because Jesus is our sovereign king, uh, we don't have to be anxious or feel that we need to be in control. So because Jesus is sovereign, we don't have to be sovereign. Does that make sense? Rather, we can submit to his sovereignty. So we don't have to have this anxiety that says, I have to be in control of my life, and I have to make sure everything goes right in my circumstances, because the truth is you can't do that anyways. And so we don't have to be anxious. This is something that Jesus is constantly giving us. Right? We just got out of the Sermon on the Mount. There's almost a whole chapter dedicated to why you shouldn't be anxious. Because Jesus cares, right? Because he's sovereign, because he's in control. Because our king is in control, we don't have to be. And the other implication to that is uh, you also should joyfully and gladly, because of that, submit to his kingship. There's whole theologies based around the idea that you could be saved and believe the gospel, yet Jesus not be your Lord. It's like That's like the second tier of Christianity, that if you're really holy, then you submit to his lordship. That's ridiculous, right? Jesus calls all men to come and to submit, and every knee will bow. Everyone will submit in the end, whether they like it or not. Just some will be invited in the kingdom and some not. But so because he's sovereign, if, we're, if we are citizens of the kingdom, if we are uh, sons and daughters of God, we don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be in control. He can be in control and we can humbly submit to his control no matter what that looks like, no matter what it costs or feels like because we, we got this picture, right? It's coming. The kingdom's coming and he is the one. We have confidence there. Secondly, because Jesus is a humble king, uh, we don't have to prove ourselves and be prideful. Rather, we can submit ourselves under the, or humble ourselves rather, under the mighty hand of God. So because Jesus is humble, we don't have to prove, right? Like if Jesus was prideful, then we would have to prove ourselves, right? If he's a prideful king, you've got to prove yourself to the king. But because he's humble, there's no, there's no proving here. The, the idea is, is that you could, you could never prove yourself. You tried and failed miserably every single time, right? Because we're not good, but Christ is, is good. And so looking at the humility of Christ, being in awe of his humility, considering who he is, and then probably being ashamed of our, our pride because of who we are, right? Uh, but we don't have to prove ourselves. We're freed from that because of King Jesus. And that is a very important implication in the kingdom of God. And so, um, so in light of that, we, we walk in humility, right? We, we, we count others more significant than ourselves. We seek the kingdom of God, knowing that the rest of these things are going to be added to us, but we want to seek first the kingdom. Um, Jesus mentions in the Luke 12 version of this story, uh, right after the kind of the entry and all this, uh, you know, uh, stuff that happens with celebrating Jesus, uh, he pulls his disciples aside and he's talking to them and he, he tells them a little bit of a parable. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's talking about himself dying. But then he implies that also into our lives. And so right after that, he says, and if anyone loves their life, they will lose it. But if anyone hates their life in this life, they will find eternal life. 
And the implication of that, kind of walking that humility and forgetting uh, kind of about ourselves is that um, because we don't have to prove ourselves, we can now look out of ourselves and not try to gain and build our kingdom here in this life. You know, it's like kind of we're all trying to build our own kingdoms, trying to make much of ourselves, but rather we can seek to build Christ's kingdom, seek his righteousness, his kingdom first, and, and we actually gain eternal life that way. We gain true joy. There is no joy in trying to display yourself as king for your entire life. It's just not. It's going to be dissatisfying in the end, right? But as we humbly walk with Christ, and as we give our lives away for the sake of him and his kingdom being spread and the gospel being proclaimed, uh, there's true joy there in Christ. Because Jesus is a compassionate king, we don't have to be afraid. Rather, we can embrace the gospel boldly because it's not on the basis of our merits or our earning, right? It's on the basis of our King Jesus who won it for us. So the book of Hebrews and Romans talks a lot about that we can now with confidence approach the throne of God because we've been sprinkled clean by the blood of the Lamb from an evil conscience. Our sins have been washed white as snow, right? And so therefore now we don't have to be afraid to approach the King of Kings, but we can come actually to his throne, approach him, and we don't have to be afraid because he's compassionate. If you remove the compassion, which God would be totally just in not being compassionate towards us, then we should be terrified, right? That's why the book of uh, 1 Peter 1 says, if you call upon him as a judge who's not impartial to anyone, you should be afraid. <laughs> and so we, we would be afraid, but because he's compassionate, because he displays his love in the gospel, we, we can have confidence. We don't have to be afraid. We can boldly come to him. Boldly come to him. And I love this because the gospel is not too short for anyone. You pick the worst person you can think of on the face of the earth who's ever existed on the face of the earth, and they are not too far from the saving love of Christ. And so this should give us a boldness therein, right, to, uh, to proclaim the gospel, to not be afraid to proclaim the gospel. Um, so because he's compassionate, we don't have to be afraid. And lastly, because Jesus is the true and only king, um, we don't have to keep searching. I guess is the best way I could say that. I'm trying to maybe reword that, but we don't have to keep searching. There's no other answer, right? Jesus is it. You can be satisfied in Christ. He is the only place in which you will be satisfied. Does that make sense? Like for, for us, we don't have to keep searching. Like, oh, there's got to be something out there that's going to make my life better, right? Like three steps to a better me or whatever it may be that you want to find satisfaction in. Whatever it is that you run to, to find your, your deepest joy, you don't have to keep searching. It's Christ. Christ in this text, on this Sunday, is displaying himself as the satisfying treasure, as the King of Kings, as the very thing that your heart desires. Jesus says, freely, come. Come to the King. He's full of compassion. He's totally in control. And he invites us to come. We don't have to keep searching, but we have what our soul longs for, what we truly desire. And, and uh, that's a beautiful thing he does in this text. And um, I could go on about that, but um, it's good. I want to give some time uh, for us just to uh, pray about this. Uh, one thing I want to do is just kind of in, in way of closing again is I want to reread that John Piper quote and I just want to make the call um, 
Jesus gives us some really awesome encouragement in this text that we just went over about his character, about who he is as a king, about how, I mean, he is, he is trustworthy, he is it, he is the long-awaited Messiah, and he offers his grace freely to us today to come and approach his throne boldly, uh, to come and have a relationship with him, to know him, uh, whether you're a believer uh, or not. Um, Jesus gives the call today to come, to come to him uh, to receive grace, to, to be invited in to the throne room of the king, uh, which is amazing if we understood who we are, right, uh, that he would love us. And so he makes that call. And I, and I just don't want us to be okay, you know, with, uh, with where we're at, right? Like we should press on to know him, like we always talk about. It's important. Um, but Jesus is so good. And uh, Palm Sunday is a day of celebration for sure. It's a day of celebration in our king. Uh, he is our king. We love our king. We are devoted to our king above all other things in this life. And so this should be a sweet reminder to us this morning uh, that who our king is, why he should be worshipped. And our cry should always be, Hosanna in the highest, right? Save us, O oh God. Save us. We long for you. We desire you. And so I pray for that desire for us this morning. And so let's read this quote again, and then I want to close in prayer, and then we're going to be led into communion and song. Consider Jesus, know Jesus, learn what kind of person it is you say you trust and love and worship. Soak in the shadow of Jesus. Saturate your soul with the ways of Jesus. Watch him. Listen to him. Stand in awe of him. Let him overwhelm you with the way that he is. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, you are glorious. Jesus, you are glorious. We look at how you have displayed yourself in your very words, and God, we, we are just in awe. We should be. And God, we repent if our hearts are not there. And my simple plea this morning, God, is would you do that in us? King Jesus, would you move our hearts in the palm of your hand to worship you, to see you, to adore you, to love you, to, um, to see you as you are and be amazed, to see you as you are and be in love, to see your grace as it is offered in the gospel and to be profoundly blown away, God, that we might receive that grace. And for anyone who has not received that grace, God, I pray that you would give them grace, Lord Jesus. Give them grace in believing. Give them grace to see you for who you are. And we want no other king but you. There is no other king like you. There is no other place in which we would go to find any type of satisfaction or any type of joy but in you. And so, Jesus, do a work in us by your word and the power of your spirit that we might cry hosanna in the highest blessed is the lord would you do that in us god would we cry out like these people did like they do right now in heaven that you are worthy that you are good that you are everything we need and we ask that you would do this in us father amen